Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. Hey, Kate and Aiden, thank you guys both so much for joining us for this episode of Rips Up on the Record, a little adventure spotlight, since you both were some of our um, adventure sponsors from this year. So we're both really excited to talk to you. Um, But before we get into it, just tell me who you are um, and where you guys live. Yeah, um, I'm Kate. We live in Colorado Springs. Uh, with Peanut, our dog, who did a lot of our adventures with us. He was part of the catalyst for some of this. Um, I'm Aiden, also living here in the Springs, born and raised. Awesome. I love that. I'm sure it's a beautiful place to be. How long have you guys lived there? I have been here since college. So I've been here since 2014. Um, Aiden's been here a little bit longer. Yeah, so I guess I got my start here. Um, I went to school in Durango, Colorado, and I lived abroad for a couple of years, and now I'm back, and I think um, I have a COVID to thank for a lot of that, but hey, it hasn't been all that bad, and it's been kind of nice reconnecting with the place that I grew up. Yeah, I'm originally from Minnesota. I came here for the mountains, and you know, getting to be outside a lot more, it's pretty good access here. Aiden, I feel like that's pretty unique, right? Like, I, I don't hear about that many people that are from Colorado, right? The stories are a lot more similar to Kate's story, right? <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, I definitely was lucky growing up here. I had, um, you know, Pikes Peak was out my back door. I grew up mountain biking with my dad. I grew up, you know, going to local music and art events, um, hiking all the time, climbing. It was really fascinating. And then I think because I grew up here, I never really wanted to leave. Or if I did leave, I had to find something that was comparable. So mountains, snow, high uh, elevation, those were all things that I was always kind of hunting for. So when I went down to school in Durango, I had all of the same sort of stuff. And then when I was living abroad, I was also in the mountains. Um, I think that maybe Colorado has spoiled me just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Where were you abroad? So I... Uh, started, I studied French in high school. I did the IB program and that kind of started to open my eyes to this whole world abroad at a pretty young age. So I studied French in high school. I was terrible, but I loved it. And I traveled abroad for the first time and I got to speak with someone from another country. And I told myself, oh my gosh, I've got to do this again. (laughs) So I finished school I found an English teaching job in France. I lived in France for a year on the Eastern side. And then while I was doing that, I had a colleague say, hey, uh, there's this international school in Switzerland. You should go teach for them as well. So I did that and my goal was to go back. um, And then COVID happened and unfortunately (laughs) everything got shut down and I kind of got forced back home. So I said, knock, knock, knock. Hey, mom and dad, I'm back. I have no (laughs) idea what to do. And now I'm kind of starting to uh, figure it all out again. And just for the record, he's not bad at French anymore. He's very much fluent. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that helps in France (laughs) and Switzerland. (laughs) Phenomenal. So we have you on as adventure sponsors, and we'll get to your adventure a little bit later on. But who are Kate and Aiden individually? It sounds like you're both very active. 
beyond the adventure specifically, but let's start with you, Kate. What do you, what do you do? Who's Kate a little bit more, you know, from Minnesota now to Colorado, give us uh, a more robust story there. Yeah, sure. So I, uh, I went to Colorado college and I actually studied music there. Um, and somewhere along the way, I decided I want to go to culinary school. So I said, okay, I'm going to graduate in three years and do that. And then, you know, I did that. I graduated in three years. Um, and then life changes happened. <laughs> I ended up, <laughs> and I stayed on with CC for a year as they have this position called a paraprof. So it's just like a department aide essentially. And that was great. Had a really good time. Um, they asked me to come back to the next year. And then my partner at the time and I decided we wanted to instead uh, build out our truck and hit the road for a year and just climb everywhere. So spent that year climbing all over North America um, I think the big ones were Squamish, Yosemite, Red Rocks, the Creek, that kind of thing. And then I came back and didn't know what to do. And um, CC reached out again, said, hey, you want to come back? I'm like, sure. And so they made a permanent position for me. So I, I work there now still as the music production coordinator wow. in the music department. So yeah, a lot of fun. When, when we're not climbing or skiing, we're uh, avid yet terrible pickleball players as well. <laughs> my my parents live in florida um <laughs> and, you know so yeah that's easy math there so i've played a lot of pickleball pretty much any time i visit them. <laughs> we i mean it's kind of like if you're over the age of 60 you're guaranteed to be just like so good we get destroyed by yeah <laughs> so many ages 60 i don't know what it is about being of advanced age that makes you better at pickleball, but it's a guarantee every time. <laughs> just like I you know, said, I know they, yeah, we can run faster on the court, but they just put the ball exactly where they want. Yeah. For some reason that doesn't help out at all. I don't know why <laughs> every other sport you think being faster helps. <laughs> and dying, they're like <laughs> 10 points ahead. But <laughs> Great. That's really cool though. I haven't really heard too many DIYers or people that we've talked to at all that have also had a musical side or like that artistic side. I would definitely say that there's like an artistic side to DIY in the sense that you are creating, but it's it's not quite cut and dry and we haven't talked to that many people. I mean, this is not a question that we wrote down initially, but do you see many similarities between DIY and music or do you like that they're almost totally opposed? I mean... I, well, I, you could see it that way. I'm not like a composer. Cause I would think of that as more a DIY. Of sure. Um, but yeah, no, I have always been drawn to DIY things. I love doing crafty things, just making things myself with my hands. Always, always have. Um, I don't know if it's related to enjoying music as well and, and playing, but yeah, that's, that's a huge thing. I used to, I know it's, it's a later question, but I am horrible. So, or haven't sewed in probably 10 years, but I used to, when I was a kid, just get on my mom's sewing machine and like take scraps of fabric and like sew little doll clothes for, for my dolls when I was like six years old. <laughs> we were actually talking about this, uh, one of the last episodes with Jameson, but someone said that they started, their sewing experience was starting with Barbie clothes. And we were like, that's way harder. They're so tiny. <laughs> They weren't good looking, but yeah, no, <laughs> I had one of those like moving models, the ones that artists oh, yeah. use, because I just thought they were cool when I was a kid. And I would, I would like model clothes on them. And yeah, it was, it was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great start. Yeah. So 
Aiden, we got a little bit of your background. France, Switzerland, college, French. Uh, so since then, what do you do now outside of your adventures? Oh, man. Um, well, I'm constantly searching for the next thing. Uh, as of right now, I've got a job at a local gear shop. Uh-huh. Colorado, oldest independent gear shop, actually, which is kind of cool. Oh. What's so, it called? It's called Mountain Chalet. Located okay. right downtown Colorado Springs. It's really fun. Um, I have a degree in experiential education in French. Oh, wow. and so being here is a little bit of a placeholder position, but it's a great community and it's definitely a uh, really neat spot to be. Lots of people to talk to, lots of people to learn from. And I get to be surrounded by what I'm passionate about all day long. So that's really unique as well. Yeah. There's something really special about gear shops. And I know it's it's almost over talked about, but it also can't be understated enough. You know, like pretty much no matter where you are, if you have a good gear shop, then you have a good community. Exactly. Um, that's definitely what I found. Like there's a skiing community, there's a climbing community, there's a running and hiking community. Mm-hmm. And everyone seems to come back to this one central hub, share their stories, you know, share tips, tricks, hints, whatever. It's super close and tight knit that way. That is awesome. So because you do so much, do you have a specialty when you're at the shop? Are you doing bike specifically or ski specifically, or is it just seasonal for you? And that's why you're a great candidate for that job. (laughs) (laughs) I'm i I'm Mr. Climb and ski. Okay. So I think that's, um, my start with kind of extreme sports outside, I think was climbing. I got to start as a competitive climber, did that for years, moved on to the guiding and outdoor sort of things. So I'm kind of a little bit more well-versed in climbing. Mm-hmm. And then due to a lot of injuries that I've been suffering over the past few years, I've really started to blend my climbing with my skiing. Mm-hmm. And I think that my ultimate passion now is ski mountaineering because I can climb doesn't hurt my fingers as badly and I still get to ski all the way back down. So it's kind of, <laughs> that you know, is awesome. My world. And that's like, that's uh, specifically where I like to live. And I will say with skiing, I don't know the first thing about Alpine equipment. I'm all uh, touring and, and telemarking that world more specifically. I'm learning that's one of the coolest things about places like Colorado or, or even New Hampshire and stuff that you can combine these activities. Um, some of my friends and I are trying to put together, kind of like a DIY triathlon type of day where we can climb, run and ride out here. And it's, it's increasingly hard to find places when you don't have the type of exposure that you want, like getting to like running is totally separate from any climbing route out here. Most places in Western North Carolina versus a riding route. And uh, so to hear you kind of talk about that and you hear it so much about in people in Colorado or Washington or Utah or California or pretty much any place out there, everything's so accessible. You can do three, three activities in a day with no problem. Oh, easy. And because we have these really amazing natural resources all around us, those three activities can be completely unrelated. Um, When I was in school, it was really popular to go ski in the morning and then raft in the afternoon and mountain bike in the evening or something like that. (laughs) That's wild. What a day. (laughs) That's awesome. I also love that you work at a local gear shop because I feel like I know for me personally, and I'm sure I know this about Jameson, but like, we're the kind of people that when we go on vacation, like we go to the local gear shop, yeah. that's like, <laughs> we're like a uh, local coffee shop, local gear shop. Like yeah. that's how we like check out the town. Um, yeah. It's like I a just museum. Think it's, 
<laughs> it's yeah. like the art museum it's like oh we're gonna go to the local gear shop we gotta check it out and the brewery <laughs> yeah and then you like get to talking to the people and you just yeah. like they help you so much with like where to adventure and give you tips and pointers so i appreciate that a lot <laughs> people are definitely pretty open when it comes to things they like and i think a lot of people are passionate about food and drink and outdoor recreation so if you find the local coffee shop or the local brewery or whatever like that's usually a pretty good representation of the town you're in. Yeah, I love that. Um, also, so you're in a gear shop and you're around gear all day. So I'm sure it was interesting for you to kind of get this challenge of, well, now you can create your own gear and you're looking at other gear all day and like, well, maybe I'll do this a little different, but I'm sure you're feeling constantly inspired in those ways. But before we hop into that, what is your sewing experience um, before all of this? So I basically had that much. <laughs> uh, zero. I don't know if this video is also <laughs> zero with your hands. Um, so my thought was this. Maybe I didn't have a huge sewing background. I've done some hand stitch stuff here and there, you know, repair some pants, make some this and that, but really, really rudimentary. And um, I would say the reason why I wanted to pursue this project is because I was really interested in acquiring a new skill. And as I've started to get a little bit older, my priorities are shifting and I'm really interested in like making all of the stuff that I use in my daily life. So uh, we do ceramics and we make a lot of the plates that we eat off of the bowls that we use, the mugs that we drink from. And then also if I could sew and make, you know, a frame bag or a backpack or something like that, I was just like, how cool is that? Uh, just learning a whole bunch of skills, not really being a master in anything, but kind of being more of that jack of all trades has always been super appealing to me. So I knew nothing. I learned a ton. It's probably very slow. I'm sure that <laughs> people listening to this podcast are way more efficient than I was and I am, but, um, that was one of the things for me. It was really just learning something new and getting out of my comfort zone. Awesome. I love to hear that. So fast forward to right now, how are you feeling about your skills today? Much better. I can identify <laughs> basic parts of a sewing machine. I know some different <laughs> stitches. I know what are uh, you change gonna, a bobbin. <laughs> I can change a bob. I broke I changed that. That was pretty cool. Um, I would say that now I feel confident and I can go out and make something um, it's still not easy and it's still a challenge, but it's a challenge that I can now attack with a little bit more understanding and that feels good for sure. I mean, that's amazing to watch because yeah, he went in, he's like, I don't even know what the sewing machine is. I'm like, okay, the pedal makes it, it'll go off into the zone, like, you know, the foot will keep it in place. And he, yeah, to see from the very beginning, like, hey, I don't know how to do any of this. And then, you know, he went through the whole process, like designing exactly what he wanted the materials he wanted you know a a demo bag to test it out first it was really cool to see because now you're totally and honestly fine. too the diy community was a huge help because huge help. it was really nice not only having this really professional example like here's a backpack from name a big brand right but more like here's someone who put a diagram up online or here's mm -hmm. someone on YouTube, we talked about their trials and tribulations. And so that was really reassuring, just the fact that this community is so uh, willing and open to share what they've learned with the world. Yeah, I can remember 
so I don't know how much, I'm pretty sure we're able to say all this, but when we were looking through all the adventure sponsors, we were trying to go choose a bunch and we were trying to, to separate or figure out who we were going to pick based on how likely they were to do an adventure and how much maker experience they had. And we kind of split and we had our own assumptions. We're like, okay, we're pretty confident. These people are really good at making. I don't know if they'll finish their adventure or not, but like they're going to make some cool gear and we'll give them a shot. And I remember thinking with you guys, like they're definitely going to do it. Like we know they're going to go out there and do their adventures. Like they have two on the docket. Like they live out there. Their proximity is great. Even if COVID goes crazy, like they're still going to be in the mountains. Like, I don't know how their making is going to turn out, but like, let's see, like we kind of want people on all end of the spectrum. We don't want too many on the new spectrum, but you have every right to be confident now. Like I've seen your pictures and those bags look great. So you, uh, you did a lot to get there. I was so impressed with the spring bag. I was, oh my God. <laughs> Sell that in the shop. It looked really good. Like you have never sewn before. It looks so good. Foreshadowing. I did have to sell it actually. That's a big question. Yeah, we got to, we're, we're getting there anyway. So on to the adventure piece and we'll touch on all these things a little bit as they come up, but the adventures you had two. tell us what they were. Um, let's go one by one. Cause we need pretty much all the details, but start with the first one. What was it? Where'd you go? Give us all of it. All right. Number one. So that was, uh, my thing, peanut and Kate stayed at home. And this is something that I did with a bunch of, uh, college friends. And the idea was we were going to do a human powered adventure, something big, Biking, skiing, climbing, a lot of time on the road. So the idea was to go from the Shasta, like Shasta area in Northern California and bike all the way up to just about the Canadian border. And on our bikes, we would have our skis, our camping gear, our skiing gear, and everything that we would essentially need for about a month or so on the road. Uh, we wanted to connect essentially the Cascade Volcanoes and access them all via human power. So, um, met up with, I think initially three other friends. We started as a group of four and as this month, month and a half adventure, uh, proceeded, there were some that went and some that came and I was super excited for this trip. I had prepared a whole bunch. Um, unfortunately, the very first day that I started riding, I started to get some pretty bad IT band syndrome. And I had made all this stuff. I had, you know, went out and, and, and uh, sought all these other sponsorships, gear sponsors, whatever. And my body started kind of pooping out on me like really soon. Oh, no. I'd been riding, I'd been training. And so this was pretty tough. So I thought, you know what? It's just a little tiny thing. It's going to pass. I'm just going to bike on it and then when my friends go and ski the first volcano which unfortunately was not mount shasta mount shasta had literally no snow on it so we went up to oh boy we went up to thielson i think that was the next one i was like okay you know what i'll just let them go and i'm gonna rest and and we're gonna say it'll be good and i'll continue on and it's gonna be all happy and sunshine and, and rainbows and till the end Unfortunately, that was not the case. It just started to get worse and worse and worse. Um, I found out that biking and then trying to ski on this thing for a week, week and a half just made it so that I could barely walk. 
And so I went from being super psyched on this trip, like, hey, I'm going to spend this transformative month, month and a half out in the wilderness with my friends to uh, I've got to get out of here because I am utterly useless and in pain. And this is pretty miserable. So I managed to um, get my way to Bend, Oregon. And then when I was in Bend, I started pawning some gear and I started getting a bag packed up. Um, and uh, as yeah. we as we put it, he uh, he exchanged his bike for a plane ticket to get home. Yeah, was sad. <laughs> so that was adventure number one. It was a great experience. I learned a ton. Um, I was never really the biggest bike packer before, so this was kind of like my foray into that bike packing world. Had a blast, but it also sucked. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I went through all this work and. <laughs> I was like, man, what do I have to show for it? Not a lot. Um, but I learned a ton and I'm super excited to get back out there for the next one. So long story short, everyone continued on. They had a good trip. They ended up making it all the way up to Bellingham in wow. uh, Seattle. And that was ultimately their Northern terminus. And while they were kind of doing that, I came home and I was like, oh my gosh, I've seriously got to patch myself up because we're going to leave to hike the Colorado Trail in like, oh yeah, a month. We're, we have a pretty hard um, start date of July 1st. So I was doing a lot of physical therapy, getting a lot of uh, needles stuck into my legs, massaging, <laughs> um, you know, scraping, anything that I could to try to get patched up for this trail. Um, so the first one was a bit of a dud. I knew that I had to work hard to make the second one not a dud. <laughs> yeah. And then, so for the second one, I was joined by Peanut and Kate, and we left to go do the CT in July. So I want to jump back to your bike packing trip real quick before we move on. Yeah, totally. I'm afraid you're cutting yourself short a little bit. I just, I don't really know the West at all. Uh, I've been to California one time that was to death Valley or in the San Fran airport. So I've basically never been is what I'm saying. Um, but Mount Shasta to Bend, Oregon, isn't like 20 miles. <laughs> that's not, that's, <laughs> that's not just like a short little jaunt away. How many miles did you make it? So Mount Shasta to Bend was a few hundred yeah. Okay. Was a couple of hundred. And then I got super lucky because we were camped out and we had, you know, kind of moved our bikes in our camp right outside the trailhead, just far enough away for everything to be hidden and out of sight. Cause as we were going to do these ski objectives, it's not like we're going to lock up our stuff. Mm -hmm. You've got frame bags, you've got panniers, you've got all of this stuff that would be like absolutely impossible to tie down. So we just walked it really far out into the woods, kind of put some sticks and branches over it and <laughs> called it good, called it cam out enough. <laughs> so while we were camping, we saw these two people walking up the trail and it was a dad and a son. And um, one of them had mentioned that they were from Bend and the other was from, I don't exactly remember, like maybe Eugene or something like that. And so I talked about it with my crew and I said, okay, you guys, so this is the plan. Hopefully I see you soon, but not tonight. Because if I see you tonight, it means I didn't successfully get a ride out of here. <laughs> the ride from the trailhead that we were at all the way up to Bend would have been about 60, 70 miles on just a straight flat highway, which is 
really tiring. It's like, um, you've got all this weight on your bike, you're a gigantic wind sail, and now you've got semi trucks passing you at 70 plus miles an hour. And it's terrifying and really, it's not super pleasant. Um, plus I didn't even think I could ride at this point. I was to the point where I was like, I, I can't really walk that well. So I really don't want to pedal this, you know, 85 pound bike, another 60 miles to bend. So luckily this guy had a pickup truck and he was going back to bend and I said, Hey, so here's, here's the, here's my thing. Um, I need to get to bend on this trip and I am injured. So he was nice enough to uh, lend me the back of his pickup truck. He gave me a ride all the way to bend and it ended up being great. He actually uh, used to be a lifty down at purgatory, which is the ski resort in Durango. So we had a lot to talk about on the way up to town. <laughs> That is a great Did a couple story. hundred miles. The whole trip was initially going to be about a thousand miles. Small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. What a great story. Wow. There's a lot there. So let's get into the stuff that you made for this, for this attempt. Mm-hmm. You were riding a bike. You also had your key, your ski stuff, camping stuff, everything. What did you, what bike bags did you make for this, for this trip? So I ended up making a full frame bag and it essentially occupied the entire center triangle of my bike. Um, my thought was that I wanted to be able to have my fast access items right there in between my legs. I could access them as I'm riding. I also wanted some of my more heavy items to be located pretty centrally on the bike and low down. So what I ended up doing is I made a frame bag out of purple, teal, and white X-Pack. I used VX21 because I wanted something with good waterproof slash water resistance qualities. I can't say my bag was 100% waterproof. I did uh, tape all the seams. I did use waterproof zippers and all that, but I still had. Yeah, there were a couple (laughs) of water uh, access points. So that's about it. (laughs) So I had this awesome white, purple, and teal bag. And then I did a kind of double-decker design. So I added a partition on the inside, something that I could essentially from either side swing down and there was Velcro on either one of these dividers. So if I wanted to, I could have two separate pockets or I could actually open them from the inside and stick them up and have one large pocket. And uh, it ended up working out fantastically. Um, I didn't necessarily put it through the most rigorous testing process before I left. So I did a lot of this finger crossing. Uh, <laughs> And it ended up being totally fine. I had that thing absolutely packed to the brim. Uh, The zippers were getting bulged out. The seams were definitely getting stressed. And it ended up surviving totally fine. What everyone needs to hear from Aiden right now for all those listening is, is it's called research. <laughs> the Aiden, like the double shelf thing, that's something you're low, your weight sitting low on your bike for a guy that's not quote unquote a, a bike guy as much, or, or what you say, you're not, you haven't done a ton of bike packing and stuff. I think you did a lot of your right research. That's everything I've also heard. And that bag looks great for everyone listening as well. We're going to post these pictures. So you'll be able to see uh, Aiden and Kate's gear here soon on our Instagram. So we'll, we'll post that. So definitely check that out. There'll also be a blog with all the rest of the photos. So you can see everything that we're talking about there, but back to the bag. I mean, that looks great. And uh, that is, that's kind of the thing. Like it's, 
the, trying to make stuff waterproof enough, specifically with zippers, is just a royal pain. <laughs> Nobody can really find the perfect way to get it so that it's it's absolutely perfect, unless you do a roll top, obviously, but that limits yeah. the whole purpose of a zipper. Exactly. And it was kind of scary as well because the entire bag, being that it was so low down, and knowing that I was going up into the Pacific Northwest, it was in like literally the perfect spot to just get water from A, the top, but also all of the water up from my front yeah. tire. And I yeah. wasn't in fenders because I ended up running into this problem where the tire size that I chose mm-hmm. was a little bit big for the bike frame. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really have any excess space for a fender. Um, again, I was just kind of like, okay, hopefully this works out and, and we'll go from there. Awesome. So what other, what other bags do you use? Uh, I, you mentioned some panniers. Did you have panniers on the front and back plus your frame? Did you have a saddlebag, handlebar bag, anything like that? Yeah. So um, this whole trip was an exercise in what can I create on a budget? And the making the frame bag, while the materials were decently expensive, luckily this adventure sponsorship helped a ton with that. It helped to really bring down the cost of everything. And so what I initially did was say, all right, I've got a certain budget for the bike and the panniers and all that jazz. Um, I went and, oh my gosh, hold on. What was the question? I totally am just back. Your bike bag. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, yeah what other yeah. bike bags there you go <laughs> everything on a budget so i made the bag my rear panniers i found at a uh used gear shop they like were 20 bucks they were so burly yeah 20 so bucks nice. super burly and then my front ones i kind of did splurge on a little bit more um i got some orderly front panniers so awesome that was kind of what was directly attached to my bike at all times mm-hmm And then in terms of other stuff that I had, because we were going to be skiing and hiking, I also needed a backpack. So I just had a backpack that was strapped onto the back of the bike right above my skis. Um, It ended up being a ton of bags in total. I didn't have anything on my top tube. I didn't really have anything in my handlebars except for a little chuck bucket, which Kate made. And for those who don't know what a chuck bucket is, as you're riding, Um, you don't stop for snacks. You don't stop for water. So essentially this was a little pouch that went right next to my stem and my handlebars. And I kept snacks in there. I kept my phone in there. I kept my water bottle underneath so that as I was riding, I essentially had like this mobile countertop. Um, I could do all the things that I needed to do without missing a beat. And that really kind of added to the uh, efficiency of this whole trip. And that... That stem bag is also X-Pack. Is that right? It is. And we used a Nalgene as a template. And so essentially it was big enough to fit like a full-size Nalgene. Um, And then it also had a little bit of a rigid air bit on it, right? Well, it had like, yeah, I put some grain around the top. So it was a little more rigid, but then also sewed in a little drawstring part, you know, like half an inch below that so you could try to seal it up a little right yeah i'm actually looking at this picture that you shared with us of you standing in front of your bike and there's like a rainbow we'll definitely post it and (laughs) uh you have your whole bike set up but one thing that you didn't mention amongst all of the bike bags is that you have um your skis obviously attached to your bike and Mm -hmm. it looks like your ski poles so (laughs) 
That is just super fascinating. So did you, that you just like put your legs, it slid in towards the frame of your bike and then you're still like straddling the bike and the skis and all of that. Yeah. And actually that was also a pretty big DIY slash trial and error project. So I have biked a ton with bikes or with skis on my bike. And if you just hastily do it, what happens is those really hard ski edges, if they start digging into your bike at any part, they go through the paint. And if you have an aluminum frame, they just hack straight through that. And you end up with these massive notches in your frame. What the heck? So what I ended up doing is I had a back rack and I ended up cutting out part of this back rack so that my skis would fit a little bit lower the kind of tail end of my skis literally slotted into a couple of like slots on the back rack so that they wouldn't start to shift around side to side. And then at the very front of my uh, bike, I made this, I guess to put it simply, it's the shape of a W. So I took this one inch like aluminum strip and I bent it over my top tube and then I bent the sides up and I was an inner tube. So I essentially rubberized everything and I put a little like Sharpie mark in my ski. So instead of leaving anything up to chance, when I would have to go reload my bike, I would find that mark on the tip of my ski. I would put it into this holster and then I would strap everything down. And then to prevent everything from wiggling around, at the center point of the skis directly under my seat on the seat uh, post, I ended up also having this little setup where I had like this little blocker made out of cork and then also rubberized an inner tube. So essentially what I was getting was contact in the front, getting ski strapped and pulled down. And then everything would get pressed into the side of the seat post on these little cork bits. And then everything was forced again down into the bike rack. And I found that this was incredibly necessary because on these bikes, if there's any sort of play and you're starting to maybe go across a washboarded out forest service road and everything starts to flap around, any movement will lead to stuff getting instantly broken, instantly cut. Uh, It'll get all off kilter and so on and so forth. So I really had to go through a lot of trial and error to find a system that was um, easy to use, but also incredibly robust and secure. Uh, So that's kind of how I ended up affixing my skis to the bike. That is so brilliant. So again, for everybody listening or not familiar, if you're skiing with, or if you're biking with skis, imagine like these massive, you know, what, 170 long planks that are moving around anytime you move. So again, you hit a bump, the skis in between your legs are going to start shaking, rattling about and adjusting your weight on the bike. So then you have to compensate, trying to keep yourself upright while all this weight is shifting around. So what Aiden did is make, I don't even know what to call it, a perch on the front and the back (laughs) so that the skis could sit in so they don't move when you're riding. Is that all accurate? That is entirely accurate. Um, Yeah, we did some trial and error, some testing, initially okay go bike around with like 60 pounds on your bike you turn your handlebars a little bit it just sends this like shimmy ripple through the entire (laughs) and if you're not used to it it is really scary enough but yeah yeah that's awesome that's so cool so another thing that i want to touch on with this before we hit the colorado trail is 
just a process-based orientation of DIY. It's something we talk about a lot, but there's very little that you can control on an adventure. Like what you said with injuries, even with weather, any way you slice it, it's pr- something's most likely going to go wrong. And that's why it's fun. But I mean, you, we've talked for the last like 20 minutes on something that you weren't even able to complete. And that's not a knock on you at all. Again, it wasn't in your, it wasn't in your, your control. And I feel bad that you weren't able to do that, but this is so rad. I mean, you got to make a super rad bike bag, your, your, your ski saddle on the bike. (laughs) I do too want to commend you because it does take a lot of humility and uh i'm trying to think of a good word but i mean humility is a good one to like you know know when to call it quits and it's never easy because you did so much planning and i've done some pretty long adventures and it's always heartbreaking to see but it's also like that's another it's just as hard as like what actually completing the trip is knowing when to listen to your body and say It's better to always be, uh, you know, take yourself out of the backcountry before you have to be rescued or even worse recovered. And you were listening to yourself and it takes a lot of like mental strength to back down and, and be okay with it and then sell your bike for a plane ticket. (laughs) It was, it was sad. Um, it it just seemed right. And I also didn't want to be that guy ruining everyone else's experience slowing down the group and then not actually being able to participate to the full extent that i was hoping to um and then yeah selling the bike was sad but at the same time (laughs) it's just stuff and you can get stuff back and sure there were memories on that stuff but you know what there's a million bikes out there and there's always version three version four of bags that i can make which are going to be different crazy colors and new cool features and it's just all part of this learning and growing process i think this is separate from the podcast we if you might edit it out for lucky but total side <laughs> note if you yeah. enjoy watching documentaries all have you seen cody townsend's uh the the why <laughs> i think it is uh yeah M- mountain why oh yes. yeah uh, that's yeah. One where he's talking about suffering and being sick in the Himalayas. Yes, but his adventure reminded me exactly what you did because I think it was almost the same where he rode from, I think he went from Tahoe all the way up to Washington though, bikepacking yeah, and then it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he did it there with is, that one lady. If you're interested, so there's that one, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then there's one with Nick Russell and it's a Patagonia film and it's okay. called uh, The One Last Hill. Highly recommend it. Okay. They did a human-powered adventure out of their backyard um, around, um, I think they left from Reno or something like that. Okay. And then there's one other film that we also use as inspiration, we being myself and all my friends. Yeah. On the trip, and it was called, um, uh, like, Ice and Palms or something like that. And it was these German guys doing a human-powered, human or um, self-filmed, self-supported trip from Germany all the way down, uh, I think into Southern France. Wow. It was like really hardcore yeah. stuff. Um, That's so super it, cool. Um, yeah. So side cool. note, aside, hope you can edit all this, but, um, <laughs> so you, so you and your, your friends also have a group text where you just send documentaries to each other. <laughs> Everyone's like, Hey, you guys look try to do this or Hey, check this out. Cool. cool. It's awesome. You just get inspired and you can see all yeah. this stuff that people are doing. Yeah. 
we're like, okay, this might actually be possible. I'm going to try it, you know? So yeah. Did a lot of that. <laughs> no, that's oh. cool. I think we should leave it. I think people um, would love to dig deep into those. So I'll add those in the show notes and Bernie pulled them up over here. Yeah, so. I do apologize. Cause I'm guessing that I butchered a couple of those names. It's been <laughs> a little bit of or it's been a little while, but if I said palms is looking, it's checking out. Yeah, that's checking out. <laughs> and then one last hill. Uh, absolutely fantastic films. Uh, really inspirational as well. Perfect. I'm excited. I know what Jameson's doing later. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I do every night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. So thank you so much for taking us through um, your little mountain biking skiing journey and I know that we're also really excited to talk to you about the Colorado Trail. So let's get into that. Give us um, just really like the overview details of, you know, when did you leave? If people aren't familiar with the Colorado Trail, how long it is, um, all that good stuff. Yeah, so uh, the Colorado Trail is a 486 mile, if you take Collegiate East, uh, trail from Denver to Durango. Um, and there's also a Western loop, which is what we took. So technically I think that makes it like 490 miles. And I, Aiden actually said something about it to me a year ago and he's like, Oh, it'll be great. We'd only have to hike 15 miles a day. And I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. That's horrible. I can't, I can't hike five miles in a day. I just don't love it. <laughs> and then, um, we were actually at our, our favorite local used gear shop and there was a superior wilderness designs pack. This was, I don't know, maybe back in January. I'm like, you know what? How cool would it be to hike like super ultralight? And, and that was kind of the catalyst to do the trail. I'm like, yeah, you know what? 15 miles doesn't sound so bad if you're carrying, you know, your base weighs less than 10 pounds. So I got that pack and ultimately it didn't work out for me. doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but I started, I'm like, it's too late. I'm committed. We have to do this trip. Um, so we decided we were going to have a hard start date of July 1st, and ho we hope to do it in about a month, but we, we were a little flexible. And we did not really do any training beforehand. Um, I had double foot surgery a couple months prior. So my goal is just, you know, to be able to walk, essentially, and figure out the rest later. So yeah, we started then, and we started with Peanut. And he came the first 220 miles with us. And that was super fun. Wow. Uh, we made the decision. We met up with our respective sets of parents in Salida. And we made the decision to send him home because it gets pretty hot and exposed and dry for long sections. And we really relied on frequent water sources to keep him cool. And we just didn't want him to suffer. Like he would have made it just fine but it would have been a lot more stress for us. We were caught in some crazy storms that I would not want, would not have wanted him to walk through. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and we, we completed it. It was a little bittersweet without peanut, but it was really cool. It's a good time. Oh, I love that. I am super excited to hear more. I know that, especially with the year of COVID and also another reason, like, we gravitated towards you and knew that you guys could accomplish this is because it was a local trail. Obviously COVID yeah. never went away. It's still like kind of coming back. So we knew that you guys being in Colorado, that this was accessible, but it's also something that because, uh, 
COVID messed everyone's plans up. People went from really long distance hiking, like the AT, the PCT, the CDT, to doing more smaller trails like the JMT, the CDT, or sorry, the Colorado Trail, just the CT, not the D in there. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's super exciting. So kind of walk us through, you know, you mentioned wanting to go really ultra light. Um, what were your final pack weights minus food and water, and then kind of give us a gear rundown. Um, and then the gear, we can hop into the gear that you made for it. Yeah, I, um, so when I initially set out, it was like, you know, I, I didn't really, I'm not a backpacker. This was my first backpacking trip, really. I, I, hike to climb, but that's kind of the extent of my walking, <laughs> walking experience. Um, so I didn't really know what, I don't know, like what ultralight was until I did some research. And I, I didn't really have like this uh, under 10 pound kind of thing until I started doing it. I'm like, oh, you know, I've got <laughs> lower. Um, and initially my base weight was right around nine pounds for just myself when I had the SWD pack. But uh, we started just walking around the neighborhood with our packs loaded down. I'm like, I love this pack, but I cannot do it. The shoulder, uh, the, the width between the shoulder straps for me was a little bit too far. It was about an inch further than the pack I ended up using. Mm. And so it really hardened to my collarbones. Like it didn't fit the notch between my neck and my collarbones really well. Right. That was a bummer. I even like sewed, I took some uh, purple X-Pack and sewed a... <laughs> A little, uh, a little spot to put a beefier hip strap in because it only has the half inch hip strap. Wow. I was hoping that I would fix it, but it still it was just for me, it, it wasn't quite right. So I ended up going with a the Gregory forty four liter pack. What do you know what it was? Amber forty four. Yeah, the Amber forty four, which was great. It was not super expensive. It was heavier, but it was awesome. It, it bumped my base weight up by like a pound and a half or two pounds. <laughs> which wasn't as fun, but it was so worth it. It was so much more comfortable. I will say one thing Gregory does well, especially for women's pack, probably different from the SWD pack that you made is that they seem to have like really nailed down women's pack and women's anatomy and like the shoulders and just certain things that our body is not just like straight line. So I'm glad that that worked out for you, but I also commend you for really trying hard to make the other pack work. Cause I know how exciting it is to get excited about a pack that's coming out or that you find for a good deal. And then you're like, Oh, score. And then you're like, it just, cause it's cooler. Doesn't mean that it like is more comfortable always. Yeah. We're, we're guilty of that. Like you go to the gears. <laughs> wow, these like brand new ultras for 10 bucks, but they're like, flies off and you're like, I can make it work. And you really, no. can't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she could, but she can't. So I, um, I, yeah, I went with the Gregory and then adding in peanut stuff. Cause he had his sleep system we made, which was super ultra light, but then we also packed him a little rain jacket and, uh, it's so cute <laughs> and a little <laughs> cooling vest that you can soak in water. So my base weight was 13 pounds, which. Awesome. That's so great though. I mean, that is still, people have a very hard time still getting that low. And the fact that you're carrying a sweet little peanut sleep system and his little cooling vest that made me smile. <laughs> like, oh, share the, share your dog tips. I love this. We'll have to get into that too. But, um, well, on 13 pounds, especially in Colorado too, again, not familiar with the West, but you're also prepared for like a pretty wide temperature variant, right? Like you're ranging from like pretty hot to pretty cold every day. 
No, yeah, we had some frost mornings, um, so really cold, and then, you know, days where you just wish you could, like, run naked into the nearest stream. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, we experienced the gamut on this trip, for sure, and sure. yeah, we were, we were definitely prepared, I oh, think, yeah. to an adequate level. Totally. Okay, so let's see, my breakdown was a tiny bit heavier, I think, my base weight ended up being 14 pounds. Ooh, so much heavier. Ooh. <laughs> um, I had a hyperlight bag, so um, that was actually kind of cool because I was so if close. I make a backpack in the future myself, I think that I've got a pretty good template to go off of mm-hmm. having one of these packs, which is kind of nice. That's actually what um, one of our other adventure sponsors, Bryce, he made, did a little ski touring in the Wind River Range, and he made his pack and kind of modeled it off of the Hyperlite one. So yeah, you'll have to check out his pictures as well. But they are great, versatile packs. I know a lot of people love them. And it was awesome because it was simple. And I think for me, the biggest and most important thing was not being bogged down by the bells and whistles that I had. So I had a sleeve. I put all my stuff in there and I just rolled it up and I pretty much called it a day. Yeah, um, nothing, kidding. everything that you need, nothing but you do, that you don't. And that definitely helped uh, bring my base weight down a little bit. And then it was also really freeing having a super small backpack. Um, a lot of the backpacking that I've done in the past, again, like Kate, backpacking is not really my thing. I like to camp to go ski or camp to go climb. And I'm usually used to having backpacks that are like towering above my head and super big and heavy. And so it was really freeing to have something that never got above my shoulders. Yeah, that was our standard. Like if, if it's going above your head, you're doing something wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm to get that smaller. <laughs> If you look like a young Boy Scout, then you're doing something wrong, right? <laughs> You've got the musical uh, ensemble, lots yeah. of hands hanging off on the outside. Yeah. You need some stuff to reevaluate. <laughs> we saw that on the trail. Like, we, we saw everything. I mean, we saw packs that were way smaller than ours. We're like, how are you doing that? You know, mm-hmm. like, they are doing a full trail. And I just, it was amazing. Like, are you comfortable at night? Like, what, are you using, like, a 40-degree quilt? Are you freezing? Because I don't know how you can get a pack that small. And then we saw people with the, mm-hmm. you know, I hope you make it because your knees are going to give out. That looks yeah. so Yeah. Our coworker Lance, <laughs> he's our B2B guy. He's kind of that guy where you're like, I hope you live. And you're really confident in that. But the, what, what you bring does not make me confident you're going to live through this. <laughs> we met a guy on the trail and it was the same thing. I was like, oh my gosh, it looks like you're, you know, going to like your first day of school or something. You're back. back <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I think I'll make it like, I don't really maybe have the most appropriate stuff, but I should be okay. I mean, some people are fine with trading some discomfort. I mean, yeah. we, I don't think we really did. There were a few times because we only, we brought this pair, like the clothes we wore uh, were the same clothes we wore every day. And then like, I brought a pair of silk pants and just a long sleeve for sleeping and that was it so you know if your stuff gets soaked you can't it's not worth risking getting like your sleeping stuff wet like you just have to be uncomfortable because i didn't want to bring a second set of hiking clothes yeah and that was like and that was a a totally fine level of discomfort for me like i was happy to accept that but some people it's like wow yeah i mean the level of like discomfort versus possible 
like I said earlier, rescue slash recovery. I mean, it can be fine and it might not always be worth it to sacrifice one pound to carry something where you might have to get pulled out of the back country. It happens, you know? So (laughs) I, even I did, like I, I made some concessions from, from not taking the most ultralight rocks. We did some sleep in the backyard to test out our stuff. And I decided I'm not going to sleep on like the lightest pillow I can get. I took some of the leftover taffeta and, um, leftover down I had and just sewed it into a, a cube and shoved it into like the fancy thermos pillow. I'm like, I don't care. It's like five extra ounces. I'm going to sleep <laughs> so much better. It's so worth it. <laughs> it is. So tell us a little bit about, or a lot of bit about, um, the gear that you guys made for this trip. Yeah. So, um, this one, the, the big thing we made, uh, was unintentional. Like it wasn't planned. <laughs> I just decided, well, Aiden's birthday's coming up and he really wants a new sleeping bag for this trip he's about to do. Why not make one? Because we're about to get all this really awesome materials from Perch Stop. So in secret, like when he was at work, I would spend like hours, (laughs) like, oh my God, I spent so much time researching. Like he kept me up at night. Just like, how did they, you know, looking at pictures, like how did they get those edges so nice? That was the one that really kept me up. This I looked at this design this woman woman did, and her edges were so neat. I was, I just assumed she had sewn like one edge over the other and not like both sides just together on the outside. She just made it look so good. I thought it was like something folded over. And I was trying to think of it, and I just like for hours at night, I was laying awake and like, what did she do? <laughs> uh, ultimately, I found I found out that she had sewn them like just two the two together and just right. sewed it but it just looked really good. So yeah, I spent a long time planning out a design for it. And then we live in a pretty small apartment. So it was not awesome trying to cut out the shapes for it on our like six foot floor when I needed to cut slightly more than six feet, like trying to get that yeah, the nylon to lay flat and cut it. And I initially, I forgot, I meant to, I work at a school, so we have lots of chalk. I was going to pick up a piece of chalk to draw it. And the day I started, I forgot. And I'm like, no, I want to start working. So I took the like toughest chunk of like climbers chalk I could find, like the big lump and like tried to draw my chalk lines on it. It was, and it just kept breaking. It was horrible, but yeah, yeah. Um, but it was, it was totally spur of the, I mean, planned a lot, but I, I hadn't planned to make that until I just decided one day, okay, let's just research it, draw up a design that I thought would work. Um, yeah, just jump into sewing baffles, which made me want to like, just murder everything. (laughs) Oh my God. It was so hard. And I, I mean, like, yeah, if I did it again, which I say, everyone who asks, I say, I, I never will. Cause it was just so much work. I'm sure I will someday, but I, I would definitely change things. I know now I got really lucky on this. So like there is a draft collar on it. Um, initially what I had planned to do was I cut the, the blaze orange nylon longer thinking I would just roll over the top but then when I, I sewed the baffles onto the hyperdy first and then when I put it onto the um membrane it's it it bunched up so much more that it actually like I cut like 12 extra inches off of the the taffeta and 
it's like shrunk down to the same length as the hyperd and i'm just like sitting there like want just wanting to cry i'm like oh my god do i need to rip all of these stitches like <laughs> and i did i ripped all the stitches out of that baffle like played with the tension on scrap like okay i figured out did it again and the exact same thing happened so i'm like okay this is just we're going to have to add a a draft, a draft collar at the end cuz i i can't fix this <laughs> so that was the big one Took a lot of time, a lot of down everywhere. Um, when it came time to stuff it. That was the fun thing, <laughs> coming home and then just finding for the next couple of weeks down in really random spots around the apartment. Yeah, it was supposed to be a surprise for Aiden's birthday. And then I was going to meet him at the gym this one night and I was just like in the zone. I'm like, I need to, I'm so close to being done. Like, I just need to do it. And I'm like, okay, Aiden, I'm going to be 30 minutes late. Aiden, I'm going to be an hour late. And I just called him I'm like, you have to come home. I need your help. I'm like covered in fluff. There's fluff all over the bathroom. Like I'm going to lose my mind <laughs> eight hours today. So he found out about it all early, but <laughs> he worked out. What a great surprise. Though. That's amazing. And it looks really good. All thing like that's, I have not even started messing with work, like working with down or insulation or baffles or anything like that. And I'm far from experienced, but I've been basically being tutored by Carter and Isaac who are amazing makers. And I can't even imagine taking on a project like that. It was, it was a big learning experience. It was super fun. Um, it really was. And it was cool to just produce something like that. You just don't think, you think there are so many rules around making it like, Oh, I could never do that. And then you get into it. It's like, no, you can make it and you can just kind of figure out what you need to. I think we're about to start some home projects. That's our next DIY venture. And just watching a lot of videos of carpenters, like they're not, it's not like this intense blueprint they're following. They just know what they're doing. So they can just kind of on the whim, like, Oh, I'm going to cut this piece and do that. And it was kind of like that. Like, oh, that initially didn't work out. So I will just change it and, and make it work just fun. Do you have any tips after making the quilt for others about either uh, a like tip for making the quilt, a tip for working with the membrane or something like a good takeaway that others could benefit from? Yeah. Um, don't stretch your baffles when you're sewing. Uh, it'll, it just makes everything a little bit more of a nightmare. Um, I found it super helpful to get, I finally did pick up chalk from school and drawing like a really nice chalk line. Cause you can see through like the no CM made it so much easier to, to sew on straight baffles. And then when you do your foot box, there are some good resources, not a ton, but there are, if you search, you can find people that will help walk you through like how to measure out a circle and sew it in, measure it like five times, like do it right. Cause that was one where I was like, ah, I'm just so sick of this. And I just kind of, sewed. I, I measured it right, but I got a little lazy with my cutting and then a little lazier with my sewing. So, because <laughs> you have to line it up just right. And sewing circles is, is kind of a pain in the butt. So really take your time there. Cause I feel like I feel bad. That's the one place I feel like the bag is, a, could be a little bit better is the foot box is a little snug. Cause I, I uh, got a little <laughs> tired. <laughs> Yeah, I have some choice words for sewing circles. That's something that like I still avoid at all costs. <laughs> it's <laughs> same for like when Aiden was doing the frame bag, turning those corners was really hard. Oh yeah. yeah. Whatever there's a lot of material, especially <laughs> yeah. 
because we just had a basic sewing machine. We definitely was not industrial. It was not super heavy Nothing duty. Fancy, mm-hmm. yeah. Going through multiple layers, turning corners. Yeah, that was a test in patience. Yeah. yeah. It's like a special kind of hell. <laughs> it, it, it really, yeah. What sewing machine are you guys working with? We, um, in our, in our tiny apartment, we don't actually keep one here. So, uh, Aiden's mom has one, but then we actually used our friend's sewing machine. She lent it to us for like four months, <laughs> which is very nice of her. Uh, we used a singer inspiration. So it was, it was great. Like it worked really well. Um, the biggest problem was if we were trying to sew anything too thick, and honestly, you can probably tell me how to fix this problem because I, I just <laughs> had the sewing machine. But um, the, the back thread, like the bobbin thread would get super knotted and I'd have like 50 threads coming out of it. <laughs> and then I'd have to like cut them all off and take the bobbin out. And sometimes like the bobbin holder would come out and that was a nightmare to get back in for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> so that was a good time. <laughs> that was me yesterday trying to sew. I was like <laughs> sewing and then it was just like a pile of threads and then I would like untake them out and do it but I commend you too you said you uh, you took the stitches out <laughs> oh that was horrible and baffle I, and the quilt <laughs> yeah I mean we are such de- like this sewing's not our thing so I basically my friend Chris gave me the sewing machine she's like have fun and since we don't sew I didn't even have like a, a seam ripper so I <laughs> sharpest knife in our house and was just ripping all of these threads out like please please don't cut this <laughs> membrane because I'm already you know like this is this is the only piece I have like I got three yards right. of like I cannot rip a hole in it and have a patch before you even get out on the trail so maybe that's one of the takeaways for tips and tricks is make sure before you start that you have the right tools yeah the right tools are always super helpful it doesn't matter what project you're doing. I, I like to do car work and I've tried to do things with like not the right tool and it just adds hours to your workload. It's That's just true. Yeah. The, the tools go for everything. This weekend I was, I built a single speed a couple weeks ago and I took it out for its first ride this weekend and I did not tighten the brakes because I tried to use needle nose pliers. So yeah. I kept on missing our turns of like zoom by, I'd have to turn around because my brakes wouldn't engage far enough. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, the right tool is really important. It is so important. Proper right tools. Yeah, we I I sewed the sleeping bag here in our tiny apartment, and then for our other projects, we moved into Aiden's parents' basement. We moved all our stuff over there because they had a room that was not being used, so that made a huge difference. Just a lot more space to just let clutter explode. Yeah. What, what materials? Here too, which was great. Yeah. Sorry, what was that? What materials did you all use for that sleeping bag again? Uh, for sleeping, it was hyper D on the outside and um, 0.75 membrane tapped on the inside and then 850 fill for for the down and then peanuts little bag it was a lot simpler um, so also just I think both of these are are 0.66 ounce uh, taffeta actually. Mm-hmm went really light and so it's one two three four five six baffles across and then one at the top and then the system we found work i just put um i sewed in some velcro and then we just took a an old buff aiden had and cut cut little armholes in it (laughs) and then sewed some uh velcro to the back and we would put this on him like a little jacket and he's oh my god he saw it and he's taken off he's like i don't want to go in that uh and it worked really well 
and we come we, for him he's he's a soft little baby he uh he doesn't like to be cold except if, if we're taking him skiing he loves that but in the morning sometimes we'd find him he'd just be like standing up really grumpily shivering because he got shifted during the night so when we had him we were much lighter sleepers and we like because we just every time I moved or felt someone else move I would just like feel him to make sure his 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 down blanket was still on because it worked really well it just had to like and it covered him really well I just if he shifted which he did he would like slowly crawl away from the other down jackets we put him on I'm like dude you're gonna be cold like stop moving that is so cute. I'm immediately cutting armholes in a buff and putting it on my dog. Cause I have a dog about the same size as yours. And people are always amazed. They're like, your dog hikes. And I'm like, he hikes more than most big dogs. So I was impressed when you said he did the 220 miles, but I also know the feeling of like rolling over and like, you're, you're always like half asleep. Cause you're trying to make sure your dog is like either in between you guys or in a warm space. And they just like, end up in a weird part of your tent or whatever you're using so I know that subconscious sleep fear <laughs> I know we we did a lot of shenanigans to like make sure under him and around him because like the condens he would sleep it was hard he could fit kind of um under the sleeping bag for me but I just didn't sleep as well because I roll a lot so we would try and get him to kind of stay in his own little nest at the t- the head of the tent but you know you have to protect him from all the condensation because we had a decent amount because it rained so much um and and protect him from underneath so yeah we spent a lot of time making sure he was comfortable it was i i really it would have been great to finish with him but it was less stressful to not have him you know we had this one storm we were above twelve thousand feet and just like trying to run through just the hail and the rain and the lightning for like six miles because it just did not let up and there's nowhere to stop you know you can't set up or oh. I was really grateful he would and yeah getting hailed on like you're trying to protect your hands like holding them in as they're frozen right. around the holes and glad he wasn't there for that so <laughs> well maybe some like Dyneema rain mitts around the I know the I wish I <laughs> I brought like one of the heaviest things I brought were my marmot rain pants. They were like eight or nine ounces. And I, I did not wear them for that storm. And I don't know why I wore them once and it wasn't even necessary. So I I wouldn't have, if I did it again, I probably wouldn't bring them. I would wear them more if I actually. (laughs) Carter just got things called pogies. I had never heard of them before, but he just got some of those the other day from Yama Mountain Gear, and now he's making DCF ones. So if you need a pattern, he might he might have one soon. But he has like 0. 0.67 over there cut out in the shape, so you can get him over his poles. Nice, awesome. that's smart. I wish. I mean, I didn't. I no no reason to put my gloves on because they would have been soaked through and <laughs> help. But yeah, that'd be nice to have waterproof gloves. The hands get cold. And what kind of tent were you guys in for the Colorado Trail? We were in, this was actually one of the least ultralight parts of our whole setup. <laughs> that being okay. in, not bad though. Yeah, no. not bad. Uh, it was a Nemo Dragonfly two-person and it was the bike pack version. So if you are looking or if anyone's looking for a tent, if you go with the bike pack version, so the benefit of that is the fact that you've got far smaller pole segments. So you never have to wonder where you're going to put them or they never just get 100% um time on the outside of the bag you can actually fit them in your bag in a horizontal fashion oh, so wow. that- 
That was super nice. I carried those and the steaks in um, the little stuff sack they gave when we got the pack or when we got the tent. And yeah, I could just ploop it right into the bag. Didn't have to worry about strapping it to the side. That was, that was really nice. It just keeps the outside of the bag a lot cleaner. That's pretty cool. For the CT, you guys, um, you did Peanut's little sleeping bag and then Aiden had his bag that you made. And was there anything else? One more thing. So because we were talking about dog tips a little bit earlier, when we were kind of trying to cut down on our weights as much as possible, we were thinking of alternative dog bowls for food and for water, something that could be easily um, unfolded, easily packed up and weighed nothing. So what we ended up doing is uh, there were all of these partitions in our local climbing gym when we had to divide everything up for more of the uh, COVID restrictions and ended up going over there and asking to get a huge piece of Tyvek. And so we slept on Tyvek. That was our ground sheet for a tent. And then with the excess, I ended up making really small collapsible bowls with Tyvek. And so I would just take a square and then I would fold that square on the diagonal. And then I would take the corner and fold it in a couple of inches And I experimented with taping and stitching and doing all this stuff. And I ended up doing a little bit of a combination of each. And the end result was a squared up water bowl and food bowl that packed down into absolutely nothing. I think they weighed like four grams or something like that. Yeah, they were nice. Uh, Yeah, it was easy to like just shove it into your pocket Mm -hmm. and pull it out when you needed water. Tyvek is awesome and holds water. Except if you crumple it too much, it eventually fatigues the material. Yeah, it did fail after a while. Oh, we had those okay. Yeah. And then this was my uh, the square I made to put in my thermarest pillow. Awesome! So, I love that. That looks great. great. Oh my god, it made a huge difference. There's, it was like you didn't have to inflate the pillow all the way, and it just had some more give. It was way more comfortable. I would highly recommend. Down pillow in the back entry. Yeah, down pillow in the pillow. I love that. That's a good like starter project too. If you're yeah. just like trying to get your toes wet, working with down and trying yeah. to figure it out. Like one, you're kind of testing the material. You're getting your settings right. Working with that more of that like thin, sometimes slippery material. And also working with down, which um, might ruin a birthday surprise. So it is a challenge to <laughs> just keeping the down contained. But that is a great project before like, someone is nervous about taking that next step and working with like three yards of, of the material and all the down. So that's great. I love that. Yeah. We, we did a couple projects just um, for fun. Cause we had the material like that. It was just leftover material, the little munchie bag, your little, the thing I made, um, oh, yeah, made a little, cool. what do you call that thing? <laughs> uh, oh, we made a, like a tank bag. What is that one? Yeah, a tank bag on the top, a top tube bag. Yeah, top tube bag. Just because we had materials, why not? Yeah. So it's fun. And those are, you know, we didn't have, we did not have patterns for any of the things we made. We did not purchase patterns. We did a lot of research, a ton of research, lots of YouTube videos, but we ended up, okay, like we really like this element from this person's bag or what this person did or what they said they wish they had done. And we kind of took it all together and made our own designs said, okay, you know, we would draw out specs and then be like, okay, this needs to be, you know, 30 inches plus a half inch uh, seam allowance and that kind of thing, which 
it gives you a lot more freedom. It, it, sometimes I wish someone had just been, here's a pattern, like here's a big template, just cut it out and you know, it'll be fine. But this definitely added to the, the adventure aspect of our sewing. So really so what are you gonna What are you going to make next? I don't know. Gosh. You need to make another frame bag. He's going to make me a half frame bag. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're, we are, we are on to the uh, home DIY project life now. We don't have a home <laughs> ourselves, but we, we have family that need home projects. <laughs> we're practicing for when we get our own. <laughs> and it also is going to depend on what we can get a sewing machine back in our lives. Because <laughs> right now we're sewing machineless. So that I think. That's not true. Technically, we do have a hand sewer. It's like a little squeeze thing. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that'd be a fun challenge. In other words, we don't really have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, whenever we have some more time for some more sewing projects, it's going to be more frame bags. It's going to be more things that are going to be, um, I think, for me, bike specific. I really enjoy doing that. And then it was a huge convenience piece. I commute to work on my bike every day. Wow. So it's nice not having yeah. to always rely on a backpack. Um, we're going to continue doing our ceramics. I know this is a little outside the scope of sewing, okay. but... Love it. Yeah. Anything you can make that you can use at home is just, I think, of interest. Yeah. It's satisfying to feel more self-sufficient in a way. Mm -hmm. um, to make things yourself. It's rewarding. It's mm -hmm. not always the prettiest or, you know, like the highest quality per se, but it's it's really rewarding. You actually um, wrote in your application and I copied and pasted it because I just love what you said. And I feel like it's all kind of coming back full circle, but this is from when you applied and you said, making your own gear connects you to your objective and increases your commitment to whatever you're doing. Half of the fun is acquiring a new skill, applying it to real world, or at least your own world problems and doing it. So becoming a more well-rounded craftsperson. And I feel like that is the full circle answer to everything that we've talked about today and the experiences that you've shared um, and all of the gear that you've made. And I love that. And you're taking it and you're like, check one off the box, like now back to home DIY, like, and it might come back in, but I love that you did it as a challenge, Aiden, to kind of help yourself acquire that new skill. And I think that's one thing that a lot of like the MYOG and the DIY community people have in common as they see this problem and they're like, I'm going to try to make it, make it myself and acquire these new skills. And every, everyone has like a creative brain to them and an adventure side and they're putting it all together and using it. And it's such a fun experience. And I have really enjoyed that statement that you shared. And that's one thing that really resonated with me and then everything else that you've shared um, on this episode. So I thank you guys. Oh, thank yeah, you. That was, awesome. that was one of our favorite takeaways was um, seeing what everyone else and we call them the, the Miogs um, <laughs> community and uh, DIY community were doing because so many times we would have problems and you just search it and be like, wow, everybody else is, is doing this. Like other people are doing this too and facing these problems. And it's such a collaborative, uh, inviting community. So that was really fun to experience that side of everything too. You don't realize how many people want to do these things as well. Yeah. Well, 
I feel like Avery and I have the the best job in the world when we get to talk to people like you all. It's almost like we make new friends and it is part of the community. You know, like we've been, we're lucky to be on this side of the community, but we're equally as a part of it as makers and, and you know, people that want to go on adventures. So we really appreciate the time sharing with you guys. Uh, and thanks for telling us about all your ventures today. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you guys for, for doing the Adventure Scholarship. That was really, when we saw that, we were so excited and it pushed us, you know, I think, we, I would not have made this sleeping bag if we hadn't done that. And that was such a, a rewarding experience. So it really pushed yeah. us. And, and that was great. Made a, so thank a you lot guys. of stuff possible. Yeah, it did. Oh, I love that. And yeah, thank you guys. We're looking forward to seeing more pictures from the Colorado Trail. And I'm glad that we could help kind of make that happen and that you've gotten already multiple uses out of that quilt and I'm sure hopefully it'll be around for a long time to come so (laughs) I think so far just this summer I've spent almost two months in it wow and it was made just a couple months ago so yeah that's That's amazing well thank you guys for helping to inspire other people you know encouraging them to know that they can do it and do the research and um design and dream up their own creation and where can people follow you in your other adventures oh this is always a fun question yeah we have disclosure we're both pretty bad with social media (laughs) that's okay follow me it's aiden underscore mike on instagram and if you do follow me you might be privileged enough to see my one post every year so (laughs) Um, this this has been a fun challenge because it has forced me to get out of my comfort zone just a little bit and try to share more with the internet and with this whole virtual world and it's super fun when I do it it's just maybe not my default setting so (laughs) we uh, we had some fun I I don't actually have an Instagram um, so I was like, this will be good, Aiden. We got to get in our posts. So I'm like, oh, I, I took pictures of the sleeping bag and I don't know what it is. Like I took the picture, everything's in the picture and I go to put it on Instagram and it like cuts it. We spent like an hour just like, oh my God, just losing our brains. Cause we could not figure out how to get the whole picture to fit. And then like two months later, I realized, oh, people put like two pictures so you can swipe between them. Like, or so, I don't know, like you can't, you can't fit the whole picture. Like you have to do it in two. And I'm like, we were like Googling like how to make full Instagram picture fit. Like we just did not yeah. know what to do. <laughs> no, that's okay. I love that. And I think, you know, that shows like who you guys really are. And that's one reason like we gravitated towards you. We could tell, you know, it's not always about like being an influencer or being able to take a really good picture. Like we read what you guys had written to us and we knew that like one we just felt super confident that you would be able to accomplish whatever you put your mind to. I mean, when someone writes in and says they're, they're going to like ski down seven volcanoes, we were like, uh, (laughs) I mean, we definitely didn't forget it. And I think, and still really commend you for doing that. And also for stepping back when you knew to, and totally diving into this new skill and the hobby and staying up all the late nights um, Kate, of googling quilt questions that don't exist on google and <laughs> I think everyone can relate all too well of like trying to turn your brain off and laying there and being like but if I stitched it this way what would happen um, and going through all those things in your mind so I love that and I love you guys that you're just who you are and you love the outdoors and it's not about you don't have to do it for the gram. You can do it for yourself. And that's just as good too. (laughs) 
I know. That was fun. It was an interesting thing because, you know, what we're so used to seeing are these really beautiful photos and we're like, well, this is, we're holding and clicking. This is the picture they're going to get. Like, (laughs) our best. Like, move things a little, like, not, it's not going to happen. It's going to click and take this picture. I hope it captures what everybody wants to see. (laughs) I like how you managed to make Instagram like a DIY journey as well. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm I'm like, I feel like I walk, you know, our seven-year-old professors through Zoom three times a week. Like I I do a lot of tech stuff at work and I'm like, I can't figure this out. (laughs) I feel like this is supposed to be a user-friendly app and I cannot figure this out. Hey, maybe that'll be the next project. All right, Instagram for dummies. We'll learn, yeah. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a book out there on it. Amazing. Well, what is one last thing that you would give to MIO gears or makers or people on the fence about making their own gear as people that have recently been in their shoes to get started? Go for it. Yeah. Just go for it. You know, I mean, I realize things... I realized it's really nice to have a good plan and be like, these are all the materials I need. And for the most part, we did that, but there were some late night Walmart runs because I didn't have the like right type of needle or something, you know, like it happens. But I mean, that's like half the fun is just figuring it out too as you go. It's inevitable. If you're new to it, you're going to run into problems you didn't expect and you're going to have to troubleshoot them. But it's really fun. Like it's not as scary as it seems like you can do it. I mean, a lot of it was just, hmm, I want something like this, like watch videos on it, like start, make a mock-up, you know, out of crappy materials, freeze your good stuff. Just, just dive in. It's, it's worth it. I would have to echo that. Um, I think that it doesn't matter how much, you know, it doesn't matter what your first product looks like. Everyone starts there. Yeah. So just knowing that there's some sort of light at the end of the tunnel is really nice. And it takes time and that's fine. And no one says that it has to be perfect, especially the first time around. So experiment and have fun. It's not a, it's not a chore. It's not a job. Just like go do what you want to do. And if that means that you want to make a quilt, that is awesome. I think you'll surprise yourself anyways. It'll turn out better than you expected. Like totally. <laughs> it did for us. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I, yeah, I can't even add anything to that. You're spot on. <laughs> Thanks for sharing all this stuff with us. Yeah, of, yeah, of course. course. It, was, it was a blast doing everything and a blast just to get out there. We were we were pretty psyched on our last adventure. Not not every day. There were some days where I wanted to like throw my bag off a cliff and there <laughs> always words said about hiking and mountains. So <laughs> we're now back to the books. On to the next one. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Well, awesome hit us up if you guys ever need anything from us or if you're in the area you're a part of the, the Dude, where is that beast out of exactly so ripstop by the role hq is in durham that's where i am i'm in our, our maker space in our kind of remote location right now we're moving and stuff um avery's also north carolina but she's out <laughs> i'm i work remotely i'm based in boone but it seems to be like the second Ripstop headquarters because Kyle is up here a lot climbing and Jameson's up here a lot visiting family and stuff. So just <laughs> happens to be our second unofficial <laughs> location. Um, yeah. So if you guys ever make your way to North Carolina, Asheville, Durham, anywhere on the East Coast, let us know. We'd love to Absolutely. meet up and adventure with you guys in person. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for that. <laughs> you know, of it, course. Yeah. Let's come to Colorado.
So you get ten. Kyle, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, don't don't tempt us too much. It doesn't require Avery or I or Isaac or Carter really any any necessary <laughs> tempting to need to go out to the mountains at all. <laughs> well, you always have a, a homemade quilt to sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> the community quilt. Yeah. <laughs> share. Yeah. The sisterhood of the traveling quilt. We'll start a new. <laughs> a new girl group i love it well thank you guys so much for sharing all about your adventures and what you made and just taking the time um and chatting to us we're super stoked i know you guys are probably looking forward to the winter ski season out in colorado so definitely stay in touch if you end up making anything else reach out to us um let us know we will always be here to support and encourage oh my god and peanut so peanut cute making the uh the sign off complete yeah. for us <laughs> nap and now he's nice say goodbye <laughs> you rallied all right uh, well thanks again yeah right. thank you guys thanks guys bye right. kate bye. bye aiden adios have a great one